Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Mr. Kelly, could I correct you just a little bit? Of course. Uh, it wasn't quite a 907 when you said that. It was 906.53. But we are on delay. Oh! And so when our audience heard that, you were right on. It was 9.07. Uh-oh. Yeah. That's two mistakes yeah. in two weeks by me. Oak yeah. Leaf Hydrangea and now timing. I hope... Uh, the <laughs> well, the timing of a hydrangea is really important. Yes, very. And the timing of the time is very important, too. Well, it is, obviously. <laughs> I love the countdown to the nation's... Federal government shooting is shutting down. We're counting down. We were watching it last night. We only have 13 seconds left. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like like something's going to happen, like, you know, fireworks or something. Yeah. But, you know, I like the way they, they always have countdowns on those news programs now. Countdown to something like in three days. Right. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to keep watching. I'll never fall asleep. I'll never eat. I'll never do anything. But anyway. Thank you very much, Mr. Kelly. And folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or concerns. Thanks for having me on your show, and we can talk about, just like the gentleman called, when can I put some bald cypress in? Well, as soon as the garden centers have it. I haven't stopped by a garden center probably for the last couple weeks, but very soon they're going to start getting seed potatoes, onion sets, and some of the other types of bulbs type things, and rhubarb roots and all that stuff. And... uh, why not get a rhubarb, Ruben, if you like rhubarb, and you could actually just put it in some potting mix and put it inside and have it sprout inside. What could be more fun than that? Speaking of rhubarb, Tracy loves rhubarb, so last night her and myself, under her direction, uh, we made some rhubarb chocolate candy. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to taste it yet, but it's going to be real interesting. We had to do all this stuff and, you know, take the stalks of rhubarb and chop them down and melt them and all the crazy stuff. Anyway, enough of that. But uh, soon there's going to be some annuals in your garden center. There's going to be things like pansies. There's going to be these summer bulbs. And there might be even some potted winter or spring bulbs available, too. You know, edibles, you know, the cool season vegetables, broccolis and cauliflowers and all that stuff. Uh, Ground covers, house plants. Yes, they got house plants right now. I know. There's going to be some lawn. Grass seed may be showing up and uh, also maybe even some sod. Perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but just offered for you to consider. Greg is producing, so another hour with Greg, and uh, luckily I can make all the kinds of mistakes in, I need, you know, he catches them. So 
that really works out very well. During the week, I do something I call a walk and talk, which is a landscape evaluation. And uh, as I said in the first hour, today after the show, I'm headed to Frontenac, so right off Conway. The walk and talk, you want to have somebody come to your house? Not somebody, it's going to be me. And uh, you can just go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. There's my email address and phone number. So I'll come and uh, take a look, and we'll answer the questions and your concerns about uh, the plants that you have, maybe recommendations on what you should go, what should stay, what this, what that, maybe some new additions. And now a special recognition, which is the tip of the trial for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today's tip of the trial, actually, first, there's going to be a couple of them. But anyway, Tower Grove Park, they received a substantial gift from an anonymous donor, and this gift was for this park's stable building. This is, you know, stable like S-T-A-B-L-E, like for horses and stuff like that. A Victorian structure dating to 1870, and currently it houses the park's Clydesdale horse and the Shetland pony. And the gift is one of the largest individual private donations in the park's 146-year history. The The donor selected... Uh, the stable out of love for horses and because of the building's importance to the park's history. So it's just kind of amazing. Way back when this was built, this was like where they kept all the donkeys, asses, or whatever, and they were used for all kinds of things around the park. So working mules, I should say. I shouldn't have said asses. The building's located on the northwest quadrant of the park, just east of the intersection of Magnolia and Alfred. Structure features rustic Missouri limestone walks, a bell tower reminiscent of the Alamo, unusual in-grain wood block floor, and... uh, Wow, stable is just, you know, I can't wait to see how this works. And actually, I mean, the timing of this donation could have been better because I guess they were ready to start on it. The renovation is going to be starting this month. So thanks to the tip of the trial goes out to the anonymous donor for that, for Tower Grove Park. Tower Grove Park is one of the most important places, you know, as I always have longtime listeners always hear me talk about it. As a kid, before we moved to West County, we lived on Flad. We'd go over to Tower Grove Park quite often and, uh, you know, at the Grand Basin and all that other stuff. Other things, how about uh, not quite sure about what you want to do plant-wise? you got some interest in things. Uh, how about the Gateway Rock Garden Society or the Greater St. Louis Daffodil Society or the Greater St. Louis Dahlia Society? There's all kinds of plant societies. I forget, I have like six or seven pages of just plant societies. And I mean, they're spread out over the entire region. But what you can do is you can just go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and it's going to list many of the plant societies and contact information on when the actually meetings are. And they're not just boring meetings where you sit around and fall asleep. There's all kinds of stuff going on with the meetings as well. So the plant societies of all different sorts. So 314. 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. 
Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. There, I'm going to keep hammering on this because we keep trying to make you know, our landscape better and less less hard, less heartache, less hard work. It's not going to eliminate it by any means because when we have weather like this, like this roller coaster of, I mean, we were frozen in time basically. Now it's getting warm. Luckily for the, you know, the women's race today, I guess it's a race. Is it just, no, it's not a race. It's just a march. It's not a race. But uh, a perfect day. And so the crowds are probably going to be substantial. So just realize that if you're headed towards downtown, expect some crowds heading down Market Street. But also, in you know, to make things a little easier in your landscape, uh, soil testing. The University of Missouri does extensive soil testing. You can contact them. You can go online, find out exactly how you need to take the soil sample. And there's some private companies that will actually send you the bags that they want you to put the soil in. So find out what there is there. There's no getting around knowing what's going on before you make just some sort of adjustment. Like the gentleman in the past hour talking about putting limestone down and what kind of impact that might have on some plants. Some plants like alkaline soils. Some plants can tolerate alkaline soils, but other plants can't. So that's, you know, you got to be really cautious about doing that. It's, you know... Everybody always kind of remembers their grandmother, their great-grandmother, or even their mother just kind of stuck plants in the ground and everything else. But we don't kind of remember the ones that they had real trouble with or the ones that never took off. But the diversity of plants we have available now is far beyond what there was, you know, even when I was a kid. I mean, there was a few people that had azaleas and rhododendrons and, you know, things. There were certainly some people with evergreen magnolias and some hollies and stuff like that. But we, I mean, the selection, the availability is just unbelievable. And knowing what the soil is, where you're going to be putting that thing, is going to make a big difference. So do a little research and then, or you can call the garden hotline, of course. And I can make up an answer if I don't know it. So anyway, let's go to Elias, and he lives in St. Louis. Hi, Elias. Hi, good morning, Mark. Hi. Thanks for your service. I have uh, mom. Uh, when are you going to, you know, to prune them or, or never prune them? Uh, you have it up growing outside? Yeah. So basically wait until the pretty much the winter's over, then cut all the dead stems off. And right now you can go out there and even take a look now. But right at the base of where the stems are going into the ground, you should see some new little leaflets right there. And okay. that's you want to leave the above-ground growth on anything, you know, even though it looks brown and dead and everything else, uh, through the pretty much the wintertime because it helps protect the crown of the plant. So it's just not the mums, it's the asters, it's several different things that you yeah. just leave the foliage. Yeah, I have aster. I never brewed it for about three years. Now it's a big bush. <laughs> right. They get huge. Some of the varieties get massive. And, yeah. You know, yeah the, I better prune it. <laughs> My second question is about hydrangeas. I have one four years old, like 15 inches wide, 15 inches tall, and never bloom. This is the fourth year. It is on southeast uh, corner. So, do you know what variety it is? Uh, let me see. It, it is beautiful. It is, let me spell it for you. M-A-C-C-R-O-P-H-Y. 
L-L-A. Okay, so macrophylla, that just means big leaf hydrangea. So basically, if it sounds like it was kind of small when you put it in. Are you fertilizing it? Uh, yeah, yeah, so, like in uh, springtime okay. till uh, summer. Yeah, spring, yeah, sp- virtually, you know, feed it, you know, let's say March, April, May, June, and then nothing in the summertime. But uh, why it's not flowering, it's, you know, if and it's getting some sunlight, correct? Yeah, full sun, uh, full sunlight. For yeah, and the, and the leaves look good. So I guess it's just a matter of maturity more so than anything else. Okay. So All as right. long as yeah. it looks healthy, the leaves look good and everything, there's not too much else you can do. Okay. Just wait, huh? Yeah, exactly. Patience. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very okay. much so. Okay. Thank you. Have a nice day. Certainly. And you do the very same thing. Now let's go from St. Louis out to Kirkwood and see what's going on in Kay's yard. Hi, Kay. Hello. Hi. I have uh, um, some tulip bulbs that my granddaughter just brought back from uh, the Netherlands. Ah. And it says to plant, obviously, September to December. Right. And I don't know quite what to do with them. It's neither of those times. Well, what I would do is the ground's probably frozen, so you're not going to be able to plant them now. Do you have a spot, you know, that is well-drained, that's going to be in pretty much full sun? Uh, Sure. Okay. So if you do that, as soon as the ground is workable, I would go out and just plant the tulips now, as soon as you can. Now, you're not going to, you may not get any flowering this year, but you're going to get the foliage. Okay. And just leave the foliage grow, and what the foliage is going to do is going to build up the tulip strength for next year. Okay. So, in other words, leave the foliage, you know, hopefully it's going to come up, and don't cut it off until it's, you know, entirely brown, and then cut it off and just kind of keep your fingers crossed. Okay. Well, I hadn't really planned to plant them on the south side, so... (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you don't, you know, I'm just saying the ground will be warmer there, so the leaves are going to come up quicker, so they can, you know, work a lot faster. Another option would be to get some potting mix Put it in, you know, potting mix in a pot and put the tulips down in the pot and just keep the pots inside water and put them in a sunny window and see what happens, you know, doing it that way. Okay. Okay. And then then wait till fall and put them in the ground. Right. Okay. Great. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Bye now. And anybody else questions? 314-436-7900 or one 800 Nine two five eleven twenty. Take a look around in your yard right now, and as I keep, I'm going to hammer on this weed circumstance because we spend so much money on weeds. The cool season weeds are out there actually growing. As I continue to say, they germinated last August, mid to late August, including henbit, dead nettle, chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, the Persian speedwell, which is a type of Veronica, has a very small bluish flower. There's actually a type of clover, which is an annual clover. There is clovers that are like perennial, shepherd's purse, and then mallow. So these are the things that just, you know, you don't know what all any of them look like. Well, just take a look at what you have. You can either take some of the leaves in your favorite garden center and to find out what it is and find out if this is one of those annual weeds that you could right now, virtually, you're not going to be able to do anything. But if you want to get out there and get a little exercise, you can hand dig them this time of year. And what the hand digging does is virtually reduce the amount of seeds that may be you know, produced. So consequently, 
By doing that, then when you put the pre-emergent down next August, yes, there's going to be some weed seeds, but there may be less weed seeds. And it's going to take a long, involved process. You're never going to have a weed-free lawn. There's no getting around it. But you can certainly make it so the weeds are not the dominant thing in your landscape. So why don't we take a break? Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline. We'll be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, perfect time to take a look out all your windows, to take a walk around your yard. Minimize the amount of walking you're going to do on your lawn, though, because it still may be a little bit, the crowns may be damageable due to the impact of compaction of your feet on the lawn, so kind of stay off them a little bit. But take a look and just make an evaluation. Remember some of the things that were really exciting last gardening season, 2017, and the ones that were a little bit disappointing, and how much energy and time everything took. Over the years, we've been in our home now 10 years. Originally, when we came in, I had a not a, I don't want to say a huge amount of garden space, but I had more than I do now. But over the years, what I've done is said, well, this was great, but... You know, it's not really giving me the aesthetic rewards that I thought it was going to. So then I just converted some of the bed space back to lawn. And, um, you know, I've been very happy with the way that has worked out. So just take a look and be, I mean, be tough on yourself and know how much energy, how much time and everything else something takes. And you might want to go the other direction. You might want to say, you know, looking out this window, all I see is lawn and a couple trees. Maybe I want to create a woodland garden underneath here. And so take that and sort of go out, measure, get some kind of idea, feel, and then figure out how much, let's say, compost that you need to add to the soil to the advantage of the plants that you may end up putting in there, be it hosta, be it uh, Lily of the Valley, be it uh, Ferns, whatever you happen to choose. Let's go to Collinsville right now and go into Ernestine's yard. Hi, Ernestine. Good morning. I have a oak tree that was tall, oh, I don't know, in 1946. Big, grown oak tree. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it started losing its bark, so I called a tree man out from Shaw's Garden. He works there. And he said it has a disease that gets under the bark, not curable. And when it loses its bark, of course, it's dying. And the front of it looks okay, but the back of it just looks really, really just, I can't even describe it. I want to know, is that contagious to the rest of my trees? Uh, basically, usually something like that is very specific towards one particular variety of tree. It's like oh Dutch word, elm disease and things like that. So it may be impactful to other oak trees. If their root systems grow over the top of each other, it can be transmitted that way because usually what will happen is a root system you know, more or less bonds and it could s- sort of share, let's say, I don't want to say information, but share problems as well as other things with each other. But uh, beyond that, there's really not too much. Okay. My other question is, um, I have something, and I don't know what you call it. It's a small, kind of, the edges are kind of scalloped or curly weed that is in my yard, and it started from my neighbor's yard. Anyway, it's taken over my entire yard. I don't want to put poison out to uh, for the birds, rabbits, and the deer. Mm-hmm. 
I don't have, know how to get rid of it. I'd be out there until long after I'm dead pulling it out. Well, you know anything that would be safe to put on there? That Well, to be honest, all the herbicides that you may have to put out, you know, could have an impact. To me, this sounds like henbit. So I would, t- I would get a few of the leaves, take them to your favorite garden center there in Collinsville and have them identify it. And then you're not going to be able to do too much this year right now to, you know, if you don't want to put any herbicides down. But then henbit is one of those cool season weeds. So in other words, it germinates in August, grows all winter long. And when the weather gets warm, then it, you know, the mother plant dies, but it's dropped a bunch of seeds. But consequently, next August, you can put a pre-emergent down. That should have minimal impact on any kind of wildlife because it's not on the surface of anything at all and start getting it under control. But if your yard is full of it, it's going to take multiple years of putting the pre-emergent down in August to get, you know, let's say your lawn back into shape. Okay. And when do you put uh, seed out? Uh, as far as grass seed? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do it. The best time is in fall, but you can't do it because you're going to be putting a pre-emergent down because the pre-emergent oh, will kill the grass seed. <laughs> but when the ground starts warming up, let's say, you know, weather dependent sometime mid-April through the 1st of May, you can put seed out then. Okay. Now, when do I trim my roses back? Uh, what type of roses are they? Shrub roses or like hybrid teas and stuff? I have hybrid teas and one shrub. Okay. The shrub roses, you can prune virtually now until, you know, and you can cut it back. I always say one-third is, is the maximum. The hybrid teas, you should have cut back, you know, going into winter time. But uh, you can still, with those, you can wait and just prune them before the new growth begins, so before you start seeing the leaves. So sometime around uh, mid-March, which should be fine. Well, mine were starting to grow before we got all this cold weather. Really? Oh, yeah. So you must have a very nice environment there in Collinsville. (laughs) Well, thank you for your information. Sure. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. And let's see. Do we need to take a break, Greg? I didn't think so. I was just kidding you. See if he was he was playing around with some kind of computer or something. Gene lives in Hazelwood. Hi, Gene. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a problem with uh, milkweed is what I grew up calling it in my uh, honeysuckle vines. I have maybe a 20-foot fence row that uh, had plenty of honeysuckle in it, and it started getting milkweed in it. Can I use a, a uh, weed killer and just a liquid weed killer and just pour it all over the honeysuckle down by the roots and stuff? Will that take care of the uh, milkweed, or will that kill the honeysuckle too? It will kill the honeysuckle too. Oh, geez. So this probably the milkweed is you're talking about the vine milkweed that has the pods that releases kind of these really airborne seeds. So what you could do is just go out and there's a product called Preen, which is a pre-emergent, and get, just give that a try. So in other words, the honeysuckle is already growing. It's up. It's I'm probably an evergreen-type honeysuckle. But what you can do is where you think or where historically you've seen the honeysuckle come out of the ground, take this Preen and sprinkle that around. Preen is a type of pre-emergent. So what that's going to do is kill the honey or kill the milkweed seeds as they're germinating. Probably give that a try. If you don't get rid of it all that way, what you can do is simply watch it really closely. You know the milkweed has a very different leaf 
than the honeysuckle does. When you start to see the milkweed leaves, get some Roundup for just regular Roundup and just paint it onto the milkweed leaves, and that way it won't impact your honeysuckle whatsoever. Okay, that sounds great then. Great advice. I appreciate your show. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Again, the pre-emergent to kill the weed seeds, the milkweed seeds, as they're germinating. And then if some of them are not killed by the preen, P-R-E-E-N, then you can consequently just go out there and start going after individual plants. And now let's go to Barb. And Barb is in St. Louis. Hi, Barb. Hello there. Good morning. Hi. Um, I I just have a question about my Christmas cactus. Mm -hmm. I have one that's about, I don't know, maybe four or five years old, and it was in beautiful shape. Um, This year I took it into the basement where it was cool for about two months, watered it lightly, and it stayed beautiful, and it budded out just gorgeous. Well, then I brought it upstairs for the Christmas season, and all those little buds fell off. So they never, not a single one of them flowered. So I've looked up various sites online, and everybody says, too much water, not enough water, too much light, not enough light. So what's your best guess? My best guess is you tortured your Christmas cactus. Oh, dear. (laughs) What it did, it produced these flower buds, you know, as more or less, like, I got to survive, and I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive here in the basement because it's too dark or, or whatever it happens to be. So it produced flower buds. A lot of plants will do that as sort of a last-ditch effort of survival. Then when it came back upstairs, it still wasn't in really great shape, so it wasn't able, because the root system, even though you watered a little bit and everything else, wasn't in really good health, and then consequently it had to abort all the flowers because flowering is a very stressful thing for plants. I see. So as long as the leaves look healthy and everything else, just you know, leave it alone, treat it like you always have, and just next year don't put it in the basement. I see. Okay, that is exactly what I'll do. Thank you very much for your time. Certainly. Thank you. And uh, if anybody has questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You can do some pruning on deciduous trees. The ones I would not prune on this time of year are the maples. You can prune them, but the maple sap is just going to flow. It's going to flow, flow, flow. And it could, I mean, it's, it gets kind of icky looking just to, or you look out there and you go, what's going on with this tree? Is it bleeding or what? You know what? But, uh, you know, having tree services come out and deadwooding your trees, something else that you can do yourself if you like, what you can do is something called deep root feeding. And this is where you get an electric drill, you get an earth auger, and you drill holes in the ground surrounding the tree. And you start about halfway out from the trunk to the extension of the branches, and you auger a hole about six inches deep. Then you move over two feet, and you're going in concentric circles all the way around. Then you move out one or two more feet and do it again. With all these holes, you're not only just d- drilling holes, which helps with you know, water you know, penetrating into the ground, helps with air circulation, helps reduce soil compaction, but backfill those with compost because that's going to help feed your soil. Healthy soil is the best way to have healthy plants. Fertilizer is great, but fertilizer is kind of like a cosmetic type thing. So consequently, it's not a long term. Healthy soil is the best way to have Really good, productive plants. There's no getting around it one way or another. Mike Miller, KMYX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got about uh, 10 minutes or 11 minutes left for the show. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. At 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards. 11 o'clock, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. 1 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show. 3 o'clock, the Business of Family Business. 4 o'clock, Health Matters, presented by SSM Health with Fred Bottomore. And then at 5 o'clock, KMOX Profiles. So all kinds of stuff going on. And then we head towards the Blues hockey game. I think they're in town. Uh, let's go to Connie. And Connie lives in Highland, Illinois. Hi, Connie. Hi there. Um Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, we have a, a lilac bush that we've had for about 20 years, and we have moved, and I would like to take a cutting off of it or a start of it or, you know, to try and move it because it bloomed every year. We love to keep it. Right. So, Do you not want so to just dig the whole thing? Do you want to dig the whole thing up? Or dig no, up? it's probably about 12 feet tall. <laughs> well, that's too big. But is there, a, let's say on the perimeter, is there some young stems coming up out of the ground? Um, probably some like little starter-like things. Yeah. yeah what you can do is just in between those and where the, let's say, major trunks are coming up out of the ground, you can take a shovel out there and just drive the shovel down in between those spots and actually dig up, let's say, three or four stems. And then put those in a pot, you know, with, you know, some potting mix. And that's probably the best way to do it. If you take a cutting and use rooting hormone and all that other stuff, the chances of survival is going to be minimal. If you can get some stems coming up out of the ground and make sure that you have, so drive the shovel into the ground when you're digging up these stems at about a 45-degree angle back towards, you know, back towards you. But the shovel's, you know, edge is going to be towards the mother plant. And then go around it and get something about uh, six or eight inches with three or four stems. That's going to be your best way. Okay, so put it into a pot. And then um, how long should we leave it in the pot till it gets to be a certain size? Yeah, I would probably leave it in the pot for, you know, at your new location. Just dig a hole in a nice sunny location. Drop the pot down into the hole and leave about an inch or so above the surrounding ground, the, the top edge of the pot. And just leave it there for a year or two so you can make sure that it's leafing out and everything seems fine. Okay, great. And then the, the mother plant that is at our old location, uh, well, we still own the home. So um, when would be a good time to cut that back and how far can uh, you With that? the lilac, so you can, you've obviously appreciated the blooming and everything else. Just cut, look at it, and the larger trunks coming up out of the ground, cut those, you know, the ones that are the biggest, the biggest one-third, cut those off, leave all the younger ones there. Okay, and cut, out, cut everything else from like about six foot up. Yes. Well, you don't. You don't really. If you cut it, you know, don't cut. It, you know, the smaller stems because that's where the flowers are going to be for this spring. So just cut the the bigger trunks all the way down to about three or four inches. Okay, gotcha. And then leave okay. the younger ones there because that's going to be the future growth and the ones that are kind of in between because that's where your flowering is going to come from. Okay, great. Okay, yeah. My, well, actually, it came from my mother years and years ago, and I'm trying to keep it going. Right. So. Sounds perfect. 
Okay, thank you so much for your help. Yes, and again, just getting some stems in a pot is going to be much easier than trying to get some cuttings and rooting hormone and doing all that other stuff. It could be, especially if this has historic value for it. Thanks, Connie, and let's go to Betty in St. Genevieve. Hi, Betty. Hi, Mike. Um, I'm commenting on the uh, milkweed. Mm -hmm. First of all, Missouri is a major migratory path for monarch butterflies. Right. And the milkweed is their primary source of food and egg laying. So I'm, I'm not sure I would encourage anybody in Missouri to kill milkweed. I mean, pick off some of the pods if you don't want the seeds. Right. But leave the leaves because that's what they eat. That makes perfectly good sense. That's what the caterpillar eats. So in other words, right. once the eggs hatch. So consequently, that works. But when somebody asks how to get rid of it because she it's overrunning her honeysuckle, that's why I told her what I did. Uh, oh, I know. I understand. Yeah. That. Okay, thanks. Well, thank you, Betty. And, yeah, that's very true. The milkweed, we always think of the classic milkweed, kind of the stem, you know, growing up and with the umbel of big, smallish, or big umbel of smallish flowers. But the vine is, I mean, it is really pretty wild. So... You know, everybody's got their own thoughts and ideas, and there's nothing wrong with trying to save the butterflies. Mark lives in St. Charles. Hi, Mark. How you doing? Good. I have a quick question for you. Is it too late to put down winter fertilizer? Uh, it all depends on the analysis, but uh, it you know it's you know what it's going to do is probably not advisable to be doing it this late. You really should be doing it at the end of fall, right as the plants are going to sleep. Even though you might have a cool season lawn, fescue or bluegrass, you know if you, let's say you get it down, it stays warm for a couple of days, it dissolves, gets down in there, and it could cause some growth that may be damaged due to cold. So okay. I would say I would not advise doing it. All right, thank you much. Yeah, I would wait until the weather warms up just a little bit and then put the fertilizer down. So sometime between after Valentine's Day, before mid-March or something, you you could use it at that time or just hold on to it if it's still in the bag and the seal hasn't been broken and uh, put it down next year. Dion is on the road. Hi, Dion. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Uh, I have a question about, uh, I'm, I'm finding a battle with uh, planting some uh, emerald green arborvitae trees. I planted a row of 22 of these trees trying to um, basically uh, build up a, a natural dividing wall between me and the next property. And, and the problem has been uh, the first uh, row of plants that I grew, seven of them died in the first year. Um, and then uh, last year, I lost another three of those. And so I've actually had some um, arborists come out and give me tips, but they're, they're giving me conflicting information. So I'm really not sure uh, what the best way to uh, try to keep these trees healthy is. And uh, I have a neighbor that's, I don't know, about three blocks down from my house who had very mature arborvitae trees. Uh, you know, probably 12 to 15 foot trees, and I see that he loses one every once in a while. So I've been told that maybe this isn't a good tree for this area, but really just looking for your advice on uh, growing these green arborvitaes. Yeah, arborvitae, I mean, we had them you know, growing up in, you know, Ellisville. We had one in our yard that lasted for years and years and years and years. What's probably happened with the ones that you planted a whole lot of them, did you install them yourself or did a professional? I installed them myself, about yeah, 18 inches apart. I was trying to get them to you know, eventually grow together. Right. Um, but it sounds like maybe they weren't planted exactly correct. So in other words, you needed to have the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only 80% is deep because 
you know, the arborvitae just in general, they don't like wet soil. So if you the, you planted them where the top of the root ball was right at grade, they could have sunk just a little bit. There could be water sitting around them. That seems to be one of the major things that kill off newly installed arborvitae is too yeah. much moisture on the root system. And that's what I had read. So I had a, a master arborist come out, and he took a soil sample and just said, yeah, flat out, it's too dry. Um, and so I, you know... Uh, change my irrigation system to where it would actually water the trees as well and and that's when i lost three um you know the next year so i thought well maybe i was on to something by watering these but then when i see these big mature trees down the road dying right you know that's when i really called into question the ground you know the ground may be dry that's but i would prefer with arborvitae to have a dry ground as opposed to too wet too wet they would all be dead Okay. So, in other words, individually, you know, by not planting them at the where the crown is above the surrounding ground, the ones that died, let's say, the second series, the three, they could have had damaged root system as a result. Regardless of what you would have done, they could have been dying. You know, they could die anyway. Sure. So, so when people talk about, um, you know. Uh, augering you know around you know how far do these root system go go out yeah what can i do um you know early spring to try to improve the the growth of these trees? well these are still probably fairly young and the root system hasn't advanced all that much so okay. i would think the root system the dead ones as you pull out i imagine it almost looks like a cork coming out of the ground because the root systems haven't moved haven't grown so consequently, you know, putting, you know, if you want to do some augering to help with the soil compaction of its horrible clay soil, then you could just auger some holes and put some compost. But keep it relatively close to these plants because these plants are really young. So, okay. I mean, the root system has not moved out at all. All right. I appreciate it. Yep. Good luck with that. And Paul, could you do it very, very fast? Paul in Winsville. Yes, uh, I have uh, two uh, oak trees that are about uh, uh, 60 foot tall, and I have ivy about 30 foot up uh, around the trunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question would be is, uh, will that eventually hurt the tree? And if so, what can they do to get rid of that ivy? Basically, it won't hurt the tree. You can go to Europe and see some trees that have ivy going way up high. The only time ivy on trees becomes problematic is when it goes starts going out over the branches. And if you're worried about it, what you can do is just, you know, within the few feet of the you know, surface of the soil, just, you know, go around gently and cut all those stems as the ivy's climbing up. Now, it's going to make your tree look, real, look really ugly, but I would just leave them alone. I wouldn't be overly concerned with them. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for calling in. And next week, I am assuming I'll be back, except I've made two mistakes in the last two weeks. I don't know what's going to happen. Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline. I might see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.